It's really great to be back here. Uh, hopefully some of you remember me. Um, we have been partnering now with Alamo Stone for quite a few years um, in caring for God's uh, kids. And uh, it's I, I always feel very uh, at home here just because uh, we've been doing this for a while. In fact, I looked online and I was like, the last time I was invited to share was in 2019. So I, I don't know what I did wrong. I didn't get invited back for three years, but uh, I don't know. There was this pandemic or something. So um, so I'll try to be better this, this, this evening. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so One Hope for Kids, of those of you who do not know anything about us, we are a faith-based Christian foster care and adoption agency here in San Antonio. And uh, my wife, Katie, and I were missionaries for uh, 20 years, uh, worked in dev several different parts of the world. Um, and one of the places we worked was behind, well, right as the Iron Curtain was opening up back in the 90s, or late 80s, early 90s, um, we worked in Russia and several East European countries. And um, there were a lot of orphans that were discovered that didn't have parents and needed uh, homes. And there was this big outpouring of love from the West and folks came over and um, we were, Katie and I were involved in working in several of those orphanages and that's kind of where God gave us a heart for uh, his kids in particular, but we didn't just do that. We ended up staying, like I said, um, back, we, we came back and forth a couple times, but overall about 20 years, raised three boys overseas primarily and I don't know, it was 15, 16 years ago now, God brought us back to uh, to America and brought us here to San Antonio and uh, was also working in church work and uh, God introduced me to a mission field that I had never paid any attention to at all and that was the that is the the boys and girls rescued out of abuse and neglect kids taken out of harmful homes and who need uh, a good loving home to go to and um, started a little bit of involvement, but slowly but surely, God made it clear this was uh, something he had for me to serve in and worked in foster care and well, uh, child, wel child welfare, foster care and adoption for several years in other agencies. But in 2014, um, one thing that I asked as a missionary coming back to the States, when I saw the, the need for families to take in kids, one of my first thoughts was, well, you know, the answer is the church. These kids need love. They need safe homes. And I didn't see much church involvement. And I said, where, where is the church? And I, my church had not been that involved until we found out about it. And so um, to make a very long story short, several pastors came to me and families that had fostered and adopted uh, that were involved in their churches and said, we'd like to start a group, a uh, so a government-recognized agency that does foster care and, and foster care and adoption, but that specifically targets the body of Christ and telling the body of Christ about this need and how people are able to uh, care for kids there. And so we started One Hope. Actually, our original name was Four Kids in South Texas, but then God um, had us change our name to One Hope for Kids in uh, actually 2019. And... Um, so it's been around roughly seven years since we started placing kids, and God has just absolutely blessed us. Um, and 
Alamo Stone was one of our earliest partners in saying, hey, we, we believe in this vis- vision. We feel God's heart for his kids. And in just these few years, uh, we celebrated earlier this year that God has allowed us to care for over 800 kids. Uh, we have licensed over 310 families to care for uh, kids in foster care. We've um, seen about 300 or so children come into our homes and, and hear about God's love, but then be reunified with their families. We've seen over 200, um, I think it's, how many is it? 220 adoptions uh, of kids that weren't able to go back to the homes they came out of, but needed a forever home. And um, it's just been exciting to see uh, what God is doing. And really, in, in, in my heart, uh, it's a partnership between what we do in, in the churches. And uh, as Ramsey said, there's families in this church. There's one sitting right back over there, uh, Sonny and Anna Marie, that are, this thing's going to drive me crazy the whole time. Sorry, guys. I'm not used to, to being Madonna. I feel like I'm a rock star <laughs> with this thing on. So, uh, um, but, uh, and of course, the Devereaux and the Rodriguez worked with us for a bit as well. And so um, it's just been a wonderful partnership. And so I'm excited to be able to share. I'm not going to just talk about foster care and adoption, I promise. But it did seem fitting to me that uh, I was able to share this evening, which is the night before Father's Day, right? And um, gonna, and so really my focus more than anything tonight is going to be on the Father heart of God. And um, just want to recognize all you dads out there for um, loving your families and doing good jobs. And so I thought it would only be appropriate if I started with a dad joke. All right, can I, would you humor me with a dad joke? So there was this small five-year-old boy, or so four or five. It was bedtime, and he and his family, they'd uh, done their nighttime ritual together and prayed together. The dad said a final prayer and said, all right, son, now it's time for you to go to bed, go to sleep. And turned out the light and left and went into the living room. And about five minutes later, he hears coming from down the hall, Dad. And so Dad's like, yes, what is it? And his son said, Dad, can you bring me a drink of water? I'm thirsty. And the dad says, you know, son, we talked about this before, and you didn't want anything to drink. Nope, you had your chance. It's time to go to sleep. You need to go to sleep. Okay. Five minutes later, Dad, Dad. What is it, son? Dad, can you bring me a drink of water, please? Dad says, son, I've already told you once, no water. You had your chance. You didn't get it. Now, if you ask me again, I'm going to have to come down there and discipline you. So silence, right? So it's all nice and quiet. And then about five minutes later, you hear, dad, dad, dad. Dad's like, son, what is it? And he says, dad. When you come down here to discipline me, can you bring me a drink of water, please? All right. That's, that's a dad joke. You got to groan, right? That's, there you go. Thanks, Dave. Uh, uh, so I do, I do want to talk about God's heart as a father for us tonight. And absolutely, um, I think all of us, 
understand that an absolute foundational grounding belief in the Christian faith is that we have one God, and that God is our loving Heavenly Father. And that Scripture paints a very, very clear picture of who God is, and that in His role as God, He is our Heavenly Father. Um, Jesus refers over and over throughout His time on the earth as to God as His Heavenly Father. And in one place, I'm going to read to you out of, we're going to look at several scriptures tonight, but I'm going to start in Luke chapter 7, uh, in verse 9. When Jesus uh, is talking about different things in, one of, in some of his um, sermons, he says in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, or he starts off, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And throughout his ministry, Jesus shows over and over and over again that we have a loving, caring, heavenly Father who created us and who created us for relationship with him and that he wants to walk in relationship with him and we know only through jesus we're able to do that but that's the very essence of why jesus died and rose again was to allow us to walk in that relationship and so really from the very beginning if you start in the book of genesis god's plan god god had a very clear plan and one of the well the very first adult relationship that is established in Scripture is the marriage of Adam and Eve. The very first two humans created by God, God brings them together in marriage, and they're walking together, and they have children. And we see from the very beginning, God had this plan that he would pass his love or really use parents as a role model of sharing his love to their children in a way of introducing them to his love. And I believe very firmly that the family is absolutely an in institution established by God. I believe it is God's plan for how children should come into a family and how those children should be raised, and that it's through their parents Really, so a lot of what I do is teach um, parenting skills, and I teach about the challenges that our children have come out of who are rescued out of homes that have been abusive or severely neglectful. And so I, I've studied a lot of, of I'm, I'm, I'm a practitioner, I'm a certified trauma trainer, and one thing that they teach us in, uh, in trauma, so this is secular teaching, but it so much applies to God's plan for us is the very first relationship that any human coming into the world has is with their parents. And that first year of life, that relationship with those parents and how those parents relate to that child and how that child's needs are met by those parents establishes a foundation that will actually carry that child through the rest of their life. 
because that first year of life, that child is 100% totally dependent on its mother and father. Because if a baby came into the world and the parents just left it in the bed and went to Ohio for a year, how's that baby going to turn out? It's not, right? It's going to perish. So it's a matter of life and death that mom and dad provide for that child. And that first relationship with that child makes an imprint on that child that says, this is how I relate to other people. And that imprint is going to have an impact on every single relationship afterwards for the rest of their lives. In some way, shape, fashion, or form, it is going to shape them. And therefore, God, I believe, created the family to put this shaping relationship in his children so that mom and dad would be that loving, caring parents that that child needs to show that God is a loving, caring, providing God and make that impression on us so that that could carry us through our entire lives that we understand that God is love and that God's love is for us and that God is protection because parents provide protection. God is nurture because parents provide nurture. And all these amazing things that parents provide for their children is critical so that those children can then take that and understand all relationships I see through this window that's been created for me, including my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to humor me here for a second, and I want you to close your eyes. I promise I won't do anything funny. I want you, in your mind, to picture God. Just in your mind, he doesn't look like Morgan Freeman, okay, just want to let you know that. Doesn't look like Charlton Heston, doesn't look like any actor. But just, just try for a second to say to myself, what is, when I pray, if I was going to myself kind of picture this picture of my Heavenly Father, what would he look like? For some and that's okay now, you can open your eyes. Um, for some, they see a wise old man. Oftentimes in art, we see that's the way, now that's the way that God is portrayed as this wiser, older gentleman. More, for me, more like a grandfatherly figure than even a father figure. We see God portrayed as maybe an older friend, or, or maybe we picture him as a grandfather or something else. But we all have somewhat of, and it may not be an actual face that we see, but we have this image, this thought, this, this picture that we have in our minds of who God is and what he looks like. And so when Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches the disciples to pray, what's the first word that the, that, that prayer starts with? Our Father, Right? And so Jesus starts off by teaching us to view God as our Heavenly Father. But I'll be honest with you, so before working in foster care, and boy, do I work with kids 
who have a lot of challenges in their views of moms and dads, and especially of dads. But even as a pastor, church planting missionary for 20 years, I know that many times people, I mean, we all see God in different ways, but for, for many, many people, that picturing, when I try to say to myself, God's my father, and I, and I try to view him as my father, it can be very challenging for some people. They may really struggle with it and not really be able to embrace God in that exact way. And I believe, and what I've experienced is part of that is because whether we want to or not, whether we really intend for it or not, our earthly fathers had an, impress, an impact or, an imp, or have an impact on how we view God. And if you had a loving, caring, nurturing father, then it's much easier for you to embrace God as your heavenly father. But many of us didn't have that loving, nurturing, caring father. Many of us didn't have a father at all. And we're not sure exactly what to picture because I never had a dad. So I don't even know what a dad is supposed to look like other than maybe what I've seen in movies, what Hollywood has portrayed for me. And that's definitely not the source that you want to go to to figure out what a, what dad, what a loving father is supposed to look like. Um, and so we need to understand that God is our loving heavenly father. Even though you may not have had a father, even though you may have had a father that abandoned you, that wasn't there for you, a father that was not the father that you needed, that was not the father that was loving and caring, God is that loving, caring, heavenly father. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he has an earthly father, Joseph, which is really his foster father, because the Holy Spirit was his true father and Mary his mother. And from the very first pictures that we have of Jesus, uh, as, even as a boy, we see him referring to God as his heavenly father. So if you want to look in Luke chapter 2, here's the story that most of you will remember, that Jesus and his family were in Jerusalem for the time of Passover. And he was a young boy, they say, I think roughly around the age of 12. And they're there for the time of Passover, and Passover ends, and Mary and Joseph are with a, a caravan from their family and all kinds of folks, and so they pack up and they head for home. And they actually travel for two days, just assuming, well, Jesus is with these family or those friends or wherever he is. And two days later, they realize, where's Jesus? And so they frantically rush back to Jerusalem, and they're like, he's not with us anywhere. And they rush back, and they're looking and looking and looking. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple, right? And Mary kind of takes him to task. And, hey, what were you doing, son? Where were you? We were heading back, and you weren't with us. And what does Jesus reply? Or how does he reply? I don't have the exact verse, but I'm sure you're looking at. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So even from the earliest references that we have to Jesus, we see God is his father, and he has this desire 
to be with his father. He has this longing and this hunger, and it's a good thing for him. It's not a bad thing. Now, what's interesting to note is that the theologians of the day, the pastors of the day, the priests, if you will, really didn't have a clear picture of God as a loving father. If you view the way God is described very often in the Old Testament, he is oftentimes referred to as Father God, but not very many verses. There's actually very few that refer to him as this loving, nurturing, caring, heavenly Father. In fact, there's, there's even references to how could you do this when God's your Father. It's almost in a threatening manner. It's almost in this you know, we, we understand godly fear, and there's absolutely a reason for that. But the picture that most of the Israelites had as Jesus comes into the world is of God as definitely this all-powerful, omnipotent, incredible being, this, this Lord of their lives. But a loving, heavenly Father was not something that was the rule of the day during Jesus' time. And so Jesus is bringing this new concept to them that God is not this far away, distant, angry guy who's got all these rules that we fo have to follow, but rather God is a loving, heavenly Father. And in fact, when at one point he refers to God as his Father, the Jews pick up rocks to stone him because they were so offended that he would call God his father. Look at, um, where is it? John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching. And Jesus says to the people, my father, my father is always at, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And it says right there in verse 18, for this reason that he said, my father, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so, Time and time again. So we, followers of Christ today, have a very clear understanding. We've heard it our whole lives, or as long as we've been involved in, in the Christian faith of our Heavenly Father, of a loving God, of a loving, benevolent, Heavenly Father. And yet for the Jews, the very followers of Yahweh, God, in the time of Jesus, that was a very foreign concept. It was not something that was common. In fact, for them, for many of them, it was blasphemy because you're making yourself equal with God. Well, he was equal with God, but just the very hearing of him saying, my father, uh, was very offensive to them. And so Jesus, throughout scriptures, paints picture after picture, a picture of referring to God as a loving father as a benevolent father, as a caring father, a protecting father, a nurturing father. And so that's the Jesus, that's the God that Jesus 
has presented us. It's the God that we know to be true. I'm going to skip, and I have been skipping around a lot, sorry, and I didn't prepare slides to, to help you out. You're actually having to use your Bibles tonight. Sorry about that, but you are, you know, in a church. So if you want to follow along, you're going to have to find, go all the way to the back of your Bible, the first John. Not the Gospel of John, but the first letter of John. First John chapter 4. Now this is John the beloved disciple, Jesus' best friend writing and he says in first john chapter 4 verse 9 he says this is how god showed his love for us god sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him this is the kind of love we are talking about that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. So here, Jesus' best friend, the beloved disciple, is describing this amazing, wonderful God who loves us so much that he was willing, willingly, readily, offering his son as a sacrifice so that he could pour out that same love on us. All right, one last place I just want to look at. Let's go all the way back to where we started in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to back up a little bit before where I started in verse 9. I want to back up to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. See, if all of you had been in Awana as kids, you'd just be, bam, running there. you have you ready to go, right? I didn't have Awana either, so it took me a while to figure it out. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, we're going to start here. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he gives this illustration. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, even though without God are evil, you know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I grew up with a father who was a believer, and I, I thank God for him. But he didn't do a perfect job of portraying how God is to me. And there were ways where he did a really great job as a father. But like our, all fathers, because not one of us is perfect, there are ways where I didn't have the greatest picture of God uh, because of the picture that my father had portrayed to me of what a father is like. And I think for all of us, as we are growing in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, with God, that oftentimes 
earthly relationships get in the way or earthly relationships can hinder or cause a stumbling block. Because as I shared, that first impression that you have as a baby puts a window on your world of how you're going to view every single relationship, every single relationship, including your relationship with God the Father as you're encountering these relationships throughout your, your lives. And so we have not had a perfect picture. And I'm not here. I know this is Father's Day. I'm not here to knock dads, all right? I'm here to say dads do a fantastic job. But I was also not the greatest picture of Jesus to my kids. In fact, we told our boys, hey, because we raised three boys, I said, look, most, peop- most parents have a college fund for, y- for their kids. We just want you all to know we have a therapy th- fund for you so that God can fix all the stuff we messed up when you get older. <laughs> because I knew I wasn't God and I wasn't perfect and I wasn't going to be the perfect father. But there were times in my life and continue to be where God has come to me and revealed himself to me as so much more than any earthly father could be, as so much more than any living example could be. There's anything that you see portrayed in movies or books or anywhere, it never measures up to what an amazing, incredible father our heavenly father is. One more verse I want to look at this evening. I promise I won't make you jump around anymore. But I want us to look at Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8. And now we're hearing from the Apostle Paul, yet another one of the early fathers of, of our faith, where he shares more about God's character to us, character to us. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to jump, um, first I want to read verse 32, and then there's more, I don't, just for the sake of time, I'm going to read verse 32, and then I'm going to jump to verse 38. But verse 32 has been an absolute anchor for my life. And it says, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything. Then he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your heavenly Father, first of all, do you know that you were his idea? Somebody had to think you up. And God thought, I want to make a John. And I'm kind of glad he did, because he made me, and he made you. And he, when he thought you up, he also said, 
I want to give this incredible life to them, to each one of them. I want to pour out my love on them, and I want to walk in relationship with them. And I'm so willing to walk in relationship, even though they're going to continue to fail and to make mistakes and do wrong things, I'm going to sacrifice my own son, Jesus, to make it possible. And if you think that God took it lightly when Jesus died because he knew Jesus was going to be resurrected, then you don't understand the grief that God the Father went through. If you'll read the accounts of Jesus' death in the four Gospels where they give the details of what happened right as he said, it is finished. The earth shook. The sky turned to black for six hours. Dead people got out of graves and walked around. God had a temper tantrum because he was mad because his son had died. And he gave his son for you and for me so that we could walk in relationship with him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves each one of us. More than any earthly father could ever show. Now, as earthly fathers, we want to do our best. We want to be those loving role models of how God loves each one of us. But we'll never be perfect. And so we always have to take what our fathers have given to us and take the good and then allow God to add to that and God to teach and to God to reveal. And my prayer for you tonight is that you will allow God to reveal himself deeper and more to you as that loving Heavenly Father and to lay down the, you know what? We have judgments against God. God, you're, you've done this wrong. You've done that wrong. Because we connect him to earthly relationships that we've had. And we think, God, you're not always there for me. God, you didn't answer my prayer. God, you didn't do these things. And it hurts our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I'm asking God tonight to just give you some freedom to relay those things down and to really, really receive what God is truly like as a Heavenly Father. But before I, I close, I do, I, just in closing, there's, there is one other group that I, I just have to refer to just briefly. Um, just because it's what, I, what God's given me a passion for. And that is that today, millions of children across this globe are growing up without a father at all. There are millions and millions of children who don't have that role model, period. And in our country, there's thousands and hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions without dads, or with dads that are the, axle, the, the exact opposite of a positive role model. And they're not showing the loving father, but they're showing a very opposite picture to their kids. And that's not how God's planned it. That's not what his desire is. And as I shared earlier, his whole plan from the beginning was the family and that the dads and moms as well, because moms absolutely make a huge impression on relationship and showing what love and nurture is about. God wants a child to have both. But we have 
thousands of children that have neither or have at least or have a negative picture. And so that's why God has called Katie and me to serve uh, the kids of our city. We we are always looking for families that God is laying on their hearts to care for some of these children who don't have that loving Heavenly Father. And I'll tell you this tonight, five children in San Antonio are not going to be with their parents anymore because every single night in San Antonio, five children are removed from their homes because of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. So this very day, five children have been removed and they need loving, caring homes to go to. And here's to add salt to the wound. Two of those children will not even be able to stay in Bear County tonight because we don't have enough good, loving foster homes. 40 to 50% of children removed in San Antonio don't stay even in Bear County. They get sent all over Texas. So a child could be removed, could have been removed today, and they're on a plane with a CPS worker flying to El Paso. They could be heading to Houston. They could be going to Dallas. We, Texas will send them anywhere they can find a bed. And I, if every church in Texas would say, you know what, we're going to take one child, just one, we would immediately eliminate the need for homes because there are more churches in Texas than there are kids who need a home. But hundreds of thousands of churches in Texas are doing nothing. And I think a lot of it's because they don't know and they're not aware. I wasn't aware until God opened my eyes. I was at that foster care was a government problem to me. It wasn't my thing. But you know what? In Texas in particular, the government is asking churches to be part of the solution. There is an office in Austin in the state capitol for the Department of Family and Protective Services that says the Office of Faith-Based Efforts, where they are looking for churches and looking for particularly believers to take kids into their home. And I'm not saying that to, to lay a guilt trip on you. The only people that we want to work with are the ones God calls to do this work. It's not easy. It's not for everybody. It's not for most. But I believe there are some, and they don't know that this is what God's calling them to because they haven't heard about it. And so I just want to say there's a need. Now, I started off, and I'm going to end the way I started by saying, Alamo Stone has been a fantastic partner with us because not everybody can foster. In fact, many can't, but there's other ways that people can support these kids and these families with finances. The government gives very little funding for caring for the poor in general, but especially kids in foster care. So there's a tremendous need for financial support. There's a need for babysitters. There's a need for tutors. We have folks that come and tutor because kids in foster care, they've come out of homes where they've not had much support in school and they need extra help. 
There's all kinds of different ways that you can share. We have some flyers on the table there at the back that you can look at um, in how you can uh, be involved in one way or another. We're actually just looking for prayer partners, people that we can send once a week a little prayer update so that you can be praying. We, as a faith-based agency, we send emails every single week to every one of our families, and our case managers ask, how can we be praying for you? And we type those up on a prayer sheet. And as a staff, we pray through every single one of them every Tuesday morning. But we also love to send those out to have others praying for our families because we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy is always out to get our kids. And so the more we can fight for them in prayer, the more we can see God's victory in these kids' lives. And so there's this tremendous need, but I want to say, really my last words I want to say is thank you, Alamo Stone. Thanks for partnering with us. Thanks for, you know, there's not, there's thousands of churches in San Antonio that have not yet invited us to come and share, but y'all were one of the first. And so thank you for that. And I pray that we can continue to partner together. Thanks for the families that are doing such amazing work and putting up with me as the leader of the organization. But um, you guys are, are awesome. All right, so having said that, let's just go back one more time. May God give you a fresh, new understanding of what a heavenly father really is and how much he truly loves you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us about your father our Heavenly Father, God, and that God is not a far away, distant, angry judge waiting to crush us for every little wrong, but rather he's a loving, caring Heavenly Father who knows how many hairs on our he- are on our heads. God, thank you that you love us that much. And I ask God that you would speak to each person here this evening And just, Lord, where there have been challenges and and speed bumps in them really embracing you as their Heavenly Father, that you would break through with your love, with your truth, with your clarity, God, of who you really are and how much you truly love them. May we grow in, in our love for you and most of all in our understanding of how much you love us. And Lord... Thank you for Alamo Stone and the incredible way they've partnered with us. And Lord, continue to bless them in every facet, in every area. In Jesus' name, amen.